0: Hello, this is a two-part interview with Father Tim Cusick from the Diocese of St. Augustine. The topic in these two episodes will center around gender ideology. This is episode one. Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the conference. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Catholics Across the Isle uh, podcast at the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. My name is Michael Sheedy. I have the pl- pleasure and privilege of serving as the Executive Director there. I'm joined today by Father Tim Kusick, who is a priest of the Diocese of St. Augustine and the Academic Dean at St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary in Boynton Beach. Father Kusick, it's a pleasure to have you on today.
1: And I'm delighted to be with you, Michael.
0: Father Kusick. Today we're going to talk a bit more about gender dysphoria and sort of gender ideologies. I, I, you know, for the benefit of readers or listeners, really, who are not familiar with the term, maybe we should just start out by talking about what constitutes gender dysphoria.
1: Well, it is a technical term that's recently uh, had kind of a shift in terminology. Uh, up until 2013. The American uh, Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders uh, did describe something called gender identity disorder, and so this was uh, an interior sense that a person felt that they were they were the wrong gender that you know they felt you know as the popular phrase puts it you know I'm a man trapped in a woman's body say and so this was seen as uh, something that should be dealt with through uh, through therapy you know to tell people perhaps be able to accept their their bodies as they are. Uh, to accept their, uh, the consonants, essentially, of their biological sex and their experience of gender. But now in 2013, in the fifth edition of the DSM, the American Psychiatric Association changed the term to gender dysphoria and also changed the meaning. And this meaning now is not so much the that the... Difficulty is in that interior dissonance that the person has between their biological sex and their understanding of their gender identity, but rather their discomforts both with themselves and in society so in other words the question is not so that they can learn to accept their body but actually it's an acceptance that their interior experience of gender identity is the authentic self and so in many cases then the body may have to be transformed in order to be in agreement with the person's interior state the difficulties comes when people resist this When they say, no, you should not do this, that is thought to be kind of a threat to their personal integrity, to be a denial of their true identity. And so the difficulty more is a cultural and social one that can lead to great psychological distress for not being accepted for who they really are. And what we've seen is that with young people, especially and, you know, in our previous conversations, we talked especially about adolescence and how this has affected them is that this may lead to suicidal ideation uh, and and a greater risk uh, for their taking on lies, uh, often based on bullying that they experience in school, you know, rejection from their peers and you know ridicule, what have you. Understandably, people who are different, especially among adolescents, we know that this is a difficult time uh, for them socially, and so that can cause distress. We understand this. Uh, the question is that's really kind of urgent these days. Is whether these, this desire to change your body, which can involve the use of hormones, other medications, as well as surgical procedures, is the solution. Rather than helping the young person accept their, their embodiment, to accept their body as given by God and as something vital and valuable for them to experience. Our society, though, both culturally and legally now, is pressing back against this notion that no you should just that you should accept your body as it is it actually says no your body is not your true identity so that needs to change rather than your interior state
0: it seems like that shift is trying to help to alleviate that that profound suffering i think everyone would hope to alleviate such profound mental distress or Difficulty. Is there, a, is there a better way? Or a, you know, how would you propose we can respond in a really loving way or a really compassionate, kind way?
1: Well, but first of all, you are right. I mean, this is something where the the person is having uh, a, a real struggle interiorly. And that's something that should not be just, you know, waved away. It, it should be something that's recognized. Uh, and we, we say we understand that, that you're going through this difficulty and we want to help you um, uh, get through it. Uh, but there are a number of, of issues that... Make people coming from our perspective say, you know, is this the healthiest response? Uh, Is this really going to help them? Uh, There is some research out there that people who have gone through these physical transformations do not actually lose that sense of distress uh, or the suicidal ideation. Uh, There's still a lot of research to be done, uh, but the jury is still out as to whether or not this really helps. There are also some people who transition, as the term goes, uh, from from one sex to another and regret it and try to, as they say, de-transition. They realize that this actually has caused them harm. The the other concerns, uh, especially for young people, is if you ever want to be a parent a lot of these so-called treatments are things that will actually lead to sterility so you know the question is whether or not we can find a way to help people come come through this difficult and painful process as integrated and as whole Uh, and As Catholics, as Christians, as part of the Judeo-Christian tradition, we see the human person as an integrated unit of body, mind and spirit. All right. And so part of the difficulty dealing with uh, transgenderism these days, gender dysphoria, is really a question of how we understand the person. And to a large extent these days, we have gone to a much more dualistic approach, Uh, this complete separation of the body and the mind. And so what happens is, as I mentioned earlier, we have this sense that my body has nothing to do with my true authentic self. All right. It's something separate. It's kind of an instrument through which I experience the world and an instrument through which I satisfy my desires. All right. But that has never been our understanding of the person. And it kind of makes you wonder if my body is not my true identity, has nothing to do with my true identity, then why would it even need to be changed? that really going to, you know, I, I'm saying I have this disjunction between my, my interior identity and my exterior uh, physical form. Well, it seems... Kind of counterintuitive uh, to say that then to change the body will actually solve the problem, because my body ultimately has nothing to do with my real identity. So I've been a little trying to puzzle through this. It, it just seems to be paradoxical. Then the flip side to approach this from our perspective then is is to get this sense of of wholeness of saying no. You were made. You're made and brought into this world with a purpose through love, through the love of God, through the love of your parents, we hope. And you are meant to be this way. You were called into being as a male, as a female. And that's something that we hopefully can rejoice in. And that we say that, no, this is a gift God has given to me as, you know, seeing myself as a created being. That brings up another issue that comes up here, and this notion of, in the contemporary world, we have difficulty accepting our created nature as a given, right? We are meant to be self-creating, right? I determine my identity for myself. And so it's really what, not the sense of, I try to conform my will to the will of God, but rather my will determines reality. Okay. And so if reality has to change in order to suit me then I have that's what I have to do. Now, I mean this is getting very philosophical you know uh, and abstract I think from the the difficult experiences people are are, are having here, but these kind of things that are in, out there in the culture feed into a way of thinking that leads us to take these steps and say, this is the appropriate
0: response. It's very helpful to kind of name those philosophical threads that underlie, you know, so much of this thinking and the approaches you know, as to what is going to be the appropriate response to, to people who are struggling with gender dysphoria. I know that I, I recently came across a piece that just kind of described the clinical approaches to dealing particularly with younger people who are struggling in this area. I know that, you know, oftentimes, you know, counselors, therapists can help to address whatever psychological issues are there. Most of us have got our issues and need some help processing those things to be healthier, holier, healthier, whole, more whole. And then... Um, you know, after they've done that, there's also often a period of what they would call watchful waiting. I think trying to uh, trust that with some Guidance, some assistance through adolescence. A large number of young people do resolve this dysphoria and are comfortable with, you know, their, their natal sex, um, you know, and their identity that way. I mean, like I think 85% of the time, 80% of the time, it resolves in a way that, you know, will have a pretty good trajectory for the rest of their lives. And then but there are folks who also advocate for those interventions that you alluded to, perhaps puberty blockers, you know, hormonal uh, puberty blockers or other, even later on in life, maybe surgical interventions to make their body appear more like the other sex. So I don't know. There are different approaches, that's for sure.
1: And unfortunately, not much research has been done uh, on especially some of these medical interventions. Uh, You know, you mentioned the puberty blockers. Those are often drugs that have been developed for other purposes that are now being used off-label, as they say, and haven't really been studied to see, you know, what are the long-term effects that these would have. Or if um, an adolescent starts using uh, cross-sex hormones, so if a, a female starts taking uh, testosterone, for example, we don't know if this is something that is going to have you know just devastating effects long term. But the one, two things that we know that we do know is that those who start on puberty blockers almost never. Come to that point where they accept their natal sex. It almost always is a the first step on the road to transitioning, uh, in, you know, including sometimes surgical transitioning. The the second thing is that the starting on these hormones very often it, uh, itself can lead to stability in the future, the inability to have children. Um, And so we're allowing, you know, very young people to begin uh, on these courses of treatment without really knowing the ramifications. And very often it's we're, we're saying that this is something that the child knows best and can be should be able to be empowered to make these decisions. All right, even against the advice of their parents. And for the most part, uh, physicians who are involved in this kind of work are told, they're instructed, they have guidelines that say, you must affirm whatever gender the, the child comes to you saying that they, they experience. Um, so we're allowing young people to make decisions, which in most other cases, the law would never allow them uh, to to start these medical interventions. Um, so it's, you know, in this and the case of abortion, as we know, uh, this is something where, oh, no, no, the child has the right to this. Whereas, you know, some very simple things like prescription medication or or even something over the counter at school, it would ne- never happen. <laughs> so so what what is behind this at It's not just a matter of the child is experiencing this and having this distress. It's that we are saying, yes, we must push them along this road now. We can never stop and say, hold on a second. Let's talk this through. Let's reflect on this. You know, let's see if there's some some interior trauma uh maybe that's that's led you to this position uh, maybe there is something else physically going on with you i mean obviously we know when, when when children go through puberty i mean that's a very disorienting time um and in fact can can lead to an experience of alienation from their bodies Right. Um, you know, what is happening to me? My, my body's changing. If it's not what I remember for, for most of my life to this point, you know, I, I don't I'm not comfortable with this. And so if that's encouraged then is saying, well, that means then you're not really that uh, your, your natal sex, you know, and then you're pushed into this. It's like, no, you're taking a normal time of confusion uh, and development and making it to something radically different.
0: Uh, well, I know, uh, you know, these days. There is a there's a distinction that's made sometimes between sex and gender. I know when I grew up, they were sort of interchangeable terms, but really they've got very different meanings and they, they do play into this discussion at the social level of this topic.
1: Right. Well, and originally gender was basically a grammatical term uh, and it was something that got, got pulled out of that uh uh, context and, and into something much different. And and this had a lot to do with the, the development of feminism. Um, and but in a way which you can see in its origins, there is some, some merit to, to the idea that there are certain elements of my biological sex which which are fixed. I mean that goes down to our DNA, right? Uh, but does that necessarily translate into particular social roles? And so this distinction was made to say, okay, or you may be a male or female as sex, but, you know, there are particular attributes that can be defined as masculine or feminine. Uh, And to have a gender role to say that, okay, if you're a woman, that means you stay home with the children. Okay. Well, that is something that has uh, a particular historical and cultural context, which a lot of people don't realize is not just quote traditional, right? So to say that the, the role of the homemaker, you know, which of course in, in, the, I guess second wave feminism was, was something that was really being pushed back against I would say look I'm, you know this is not what women have always been like we haven't always just been you know confined to to the home in the suburbs uh, you know just to, to mind the children and take care of the house and make sure dinner was ready when when, when dad got home I mean it's it's' So we, we can make this distinction and say, well, does that mean women can't do anything else? And, and I think that was a fair point to make. But now it's become so detached that to say I'm a particular gender in terms of things that I I, I gravitate towards, say. All right. So I like soft, frilly clothes. Does that mean I'm feminine? So if I'm a man, I like. Softly closed. So that means I'm not really a man. I'm a woman. It's like, no, you're still a man. But perhaps you in our culture, you express some characteristics that we call feminine. All right. should you be rejected because of that? No. I mean, that's part of your personality. Are there ways that can be expressed that are unhealthy? Yeah, probably. Uh, but that doesn't mean that just because you, you have certain tendencies, certain enjoyments or certain hobbies, that doesn't mean that you're a different sex. All right. So this distinction between sex and gender while having some value to it has now, it's been kind of turned against itself almost, because then my gender characteristics, my gender attributes, this, the kind of social aspects of it, now become defining of sex, and that's I think where we get into a lot of confusion. So this notion that, you know, we have talked about this before. I think you know the the, the tomboy, okay, likes boyish things, like likes to roughhouse and and play play baseball or whatever, you know, great. More power to you, Um, but does that mean that you are a man? No, it's you're you're a woman or a young woman who has these particular things that you enjoy. Okay, Um, and if Lily Billy like uh, likes to play with dolls, okay, Uh, that doesn't make him less of a boy, right? I mean, it's you know, again, this is something where um going back to this notion of voluntarism, this this notion of the will defining everything, so it's my desires and my enjoyments actually trump genetics. And we end up having these statements like some men get pregnant. Yeah. Well, no, actually, if you think about it, historically, the definition of a man was someone who was a potential father, and a woman was a potential mother. Now, we heard a lot, I think, in the 60s and 70s, biology is not destiny. Okay. Okay. Right, in terms of okay, just because you're a woman, that doesn't mean you're limited to certain certain spheres. Okay. But when we get to the point where we say biology has nothing to do with my identity, then you're going to get into a fierce debate because you're in a sense saying that biology is not something real in itself. Now, is that scientific? (laughs) Um, to what extent are we saying that, you know, are we now becoming uh, essentially uh, um, uh, a form of Buddhist that says that all all reality is essentially illusion? Uh, so that the, the notion of my embodiment is something that, that is really kind of unreal. Um, that's kind of the point we've gotten to, I think, in this debate. Um, so that the mind trumps all. And if I can push a little harder on this, um, I would say that it's linked to uh, a very ancient heresy uh, that Christians have called Gnosticism. All right, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And not, the Gnostics claim that physical reality is actually evil and is simply something to be transcended. All right. And you do this through special knowledge. It's usually secret knowledge. Um, but once you gain this knowledge, then that means that you, you can escape the body. All right. And, you know, I think this has kind of been exacerbated by the pandemic. I mean, think about what we're doing now. We're having this meeting, you know, uh, via zoom and we are, you know, kind of little disembodied talking heads and, um, you know, without any, you know, physical contact, except for, you know, the the electrons on our screens. Um, so it's this notion of our disembodiment, uh, I think is becoming more and more prevalent. And so we have this notion that, you know, the body is an impediment to, to f- the fulfillment of my desires. So if that's all I have, you know, Pope Benedict XVI, you know, when he, before he was elected in that famous uh, speech uh, where he talked about the dictatorship of relativism, you know, that's what it boiled down to. He said, he said, it's all about my desire. My desire defines reality rather than the most religious and spiritual traditions say, no, no, you need to kind of conform your desires to the reality uh, that's external to you uh, and, that is meant to be accepted as a given.